Hi, I'm Nathan Riley, the Holistic OBGYN. I knew that I wanted to change the maternity care model in the United States from early in residency training. I have now ventured out of the corporate medical space entirely to lend my support to this task. This podcast is a 501c3 and will feature important voices in the women's healthcare space, as well as present a more holistic approach to meeting the healthcare needs of women. If we want to see lasting structural change, then it's critical that we empower women to reclaim their vitality rather than merely treating their disease. We also need to support the reinstatement of the midwifery care model as the standard. Midwives, doulas, mothers, fathers, women, and witches, you have my support. Now on with the podcast. Welcome, everybody, back to the Holistic OBGYN. I've got a special guest today. My friend, Paul Thomas, MD, practices pediatrics out of Portland, Oregon. He's been doing things in a very different way. Dare I say rogue, rebel, whatever. I I really prefer to think of it as just ethical, patient-centered care, and that's why I think you and I have gotten to be quick friends, gotten to be quick friends over the past couple of weeks. So, um, Paul, welcome to the show. Tell everybody a little bit more about yourself, about your books you've written, um, how we met, um, and anything else you think is important. Well, thank you, Nathan, for having me on the show. We have become quick friends because I think we are so rare in our profession. Uh, MDs go to medical school and we get put through a process that really, Mm -hmm. uh, it's grueling. You know, I I was just recently talking to a friend about that. They said, how much did they teach you about vaccines in medical school? And I was going, hmm. Well, the first two years of medical school are great. It's a hardcore basic science. There's nothing to argue about the solid science that's involved in those two years. Right, right. Then jump into clinical medicine and it felt like it was a whole different world. Mm-hmm. We, we left science behind and it was all about learning how to diagnose and treat. Mm-hmm. And so, and there's so much they throw at you, at least for me, I, I felt like it was all I could do to keep up with learning how to diagnose and treat. Yep. You know, I just didn't have time to question mm-hmm. uh, about, you know, the why or anything like that. So that was our background. And somehow we came out of that and we can certainly talk about that in the, in the future. But yeah, we met through an introduction. I've written two books, The Vaccine Friendly Plan and The Addiction Spectrum, both with uh, my co-author, Jennifer Margulis, who put us in touch with each other. Yeah. Um, you, I think you were interested in the First Nations Medical Board. It's something that I've... Uh, been involved with. I set up a virtual clinic uh, that I actually have not been practicing in yet because I did get my license back and I'm back in my own uh, brick and mortar clinic at this time. Uh, but I was setting that up basically as a, uh, a way to reach more people that is outside of the um, strict view of our medical boards. As, as you know, right. uh, in, in every state, your, your medical board has the right, not the right, they have the power <laughs> to take away your license. So, um, you know, you and I have chosen to really focus on natural health and supporting the natural healing process and focusing on wellness rather than diagnose and treat. Yeah. The way that I summarize that for people in like the short elevator ride is I guide people to health as opposed to putting a bandaid on or just treating the illness. And yeah, I think that kind of summarized what people like us do where, you know, when people hear holistic medicine, it's not a prescriptive way of going about treating disease. It's really like, well, let's let's improve the health of the soil and let's avoid all of that disease talk altogether. Yes, there are going to be reasons that the allopathic model and all of our training that we got in those many years of of uh, 
clinical experience and book work and whatnot, there's there's good use for that. But that's that's a bit of the exception versus the rule in, in my experience. And I, I have to say, Paul, since I've gotten to know you and your work, and Jennifer, by the way, had sent me a copy of Vaccine Friendly. Um, was it the fa- Vaccine Friendly Guide to Parenting? Is that right? It's the Vaccine Friendly Plan, and then there's a vaccine whole long plan. subtitle. Gotcha. Yeah. Yeah. So I I remember reading that and thinking like, wow, like this is. Uh, this makes just so much more sense. Like this is almost required reading for any person who's getting that clinical experience. And and even that is not the whole picture, but it's at least an important part of the picture that we were lacking. So thank you for yeah. the work that you do. I just want to acknowledge just how important it is that that you're in the world and that you've remained in the medical wow. field. So well, thank you, Nathan. Appreciate that. And 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 you're pioneering on the OBGYN side, which is, I feel like, you know, OBGYN, you're you're the specialty that ushers new babies into the world. And that's so important that that we have a chance to do that in a holistic way. Uh, and and you're up against similar pressures mm-hmm. uh, because the medical establishment just has a cookie cutter way of doing things. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And the cookie cutter approach, I know on your website, you really emphasize this. The cookie cutter approach is not the ethical, uh, ethical approach. Yeah. It doesn't make sense yeah. to force every woman, man, child, whoever into a box that can yeah. just be treated through a p- protocolized flow chart on some, yeah. you know, right. AAP journal article or something yeah. like that. It just doesn't work. We know it doesn't work and it doesn't make right. the patients feel seen or heard either. Right. I mean, I think early on in medicine, when we were in that third and fourth year of medical school, it was helpful to have sort of a a protocol and a flow Mm -hmm. chart because we were trying to learn so much. Unfortunately, you know, the pharmaceutical industry benefits greatly if they can kind of uh, structure those flow charts towards a pharmaceutical solution. Yeah. And that's exactly what they do. Right. And so not being aware that that's what's happening, we get trained, (laughs) you know, we get trained and we accept that philosophy almost of you go down these flow charts and you end Mm -hmm. up with this product or that product, which is, as you put at the beginning of the show, a bandaid to a symptom. Yeah, that's right. And, and I mean, and really when you take a step back and you look at the system, everybody says the system's broken. I don't think the system's broken. The system is built exactly to do exactly what it was designed to do. And it does it extremely yeah. well, which is to funnel people into a specific diagnosis based on some ICD-10 code. And then you, yeah. the doctor, in all of your experience, are supposed to go and find option A or option B, either of which in my yeah. world is surgery or a pharmaceutical, including hormonal contraception. Yeah. And, and most people are just kind of wising up to the fact that like, okay, if the system is designed to put us in a box, and I don't want to be put into a box, where can I go? Well, people like me and right. you and various other physicians around the country are starting to also realize, oh, I set out to do good and put all of my time and resources and go a half a million dollars into debt to do this thing. And so you and I are the pioneers that are trying to um, trying to make that possible for them. So so yeah. at the end of the day, we may not have all the answers, but at least we give people you know, the opportunity to engage in in a, in a shared decision-making process whereby they can make an informed decision. So, yeah, no, absolutely. The conventional model or allopathic model, if you will, that you and I were trained in, um, it is just leading to this Mm -hmm. diagnose and treat, prescribe or do surgery, uh, you know, and, and it's not, there is no focus on wellness. Absolutely. Uh, There is no focus on natural health. There is no respect for the natural immune system. Mm. I mean, we're, you and I are chatting right now and still in the midst of the COVID quote pandemic. Mm -hmm. And, uh, 
you know, what's the solution for that dilemma using that traditional or allopathic model? Well, they're trying to say the only thing you can do is get a vaccine, right. which is just so Band-Aid. <laughs> and the, the Band-Aid we now know isn't working well, yeah. uh, if, if at all. Uh, and yet no acknowledgement, although people are waking up, wow, if you have a healthy immune system, you're just fine. Yeah. I mean, I just came back from speaking in Utah and speaking in Florida, and I was in two different places where you could be in a full auditorium with hundreds of people and nobody's wearing a mask. There's no social distancing and everybody's fine. Right. Uh, you know, I live in Oregon and you're in California where I imagine your reality is quite different. Uh, here in Oregon, I, I was so sad to see the kids are lined up for school. They are outdoors six feet apart, wearing masks mm. on their phones, <laughs> waiting for, you know, waiting for a school bus. And I'm thinking, what's wrong with this picture? Yeah. Uh, screens we know are toxic. Uh, social interaction is part of the solution of being human and, and physical touch is important. And fresh um, air, fresh air, <laughs> you know, it was like, wow, the, we need a better way. Yeah. And, and you, thankfully you and I are part of the solution of creating a system sure. or at least for our own patients, a different option. Exactly. Yeah. And, and before we even get too deep into this conversation, I want everybody to know, and I, I hope I'm speaking accurately for you. You and I are not against the entire allopathic model. We just see that there's some huge range, uh, a huge range, um, within which we can actually just improve it or potentially even create an alternative to it or an added level of support to that. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I know when you deal with a pregnancy that needs a C-section or that the mom dies, you're, I mean, we're so grateful that you have that skill. That's right. And, and, and or, or a, a woman gets septic and you can, you know, hospitalize and do IV antibiotics and save their life. Absolutely. The same in pediatrics, you know, there's things that we can do with our training that just are absolutely life-saving. Mm -hmm. So, Agreed. We are we are not trying to trash our profession. We're trying to say, hey, there is also an amazing way to Bingo. usher in health and wellness. Bingo. Yeah. Yeah. So, was there a specific thing that happened in your career, Paul, that uh, that kind of forced you to to kind of finally step outside of the model? Absolutely. Yeah. There was. Um, I so I graduated in 1985 from medical school, Dartmouth Medical School and went right into residency in California, Southern California there, UC California system, mm -hmm. finishing my pediatric training, went right into teaching. I was teaching residents and medical students and I'm just in that system. And I'm doing what I absolutely have been taught to do. I mean, vaccines are the most important thing I could do as a pediatrician and everything else we did. You know, um, it was, it felt like I was on the right path to save children and do the right thing. And then I started noticing as after I went into private practice, I was with a group of four other pediatricians that we were seeing a lot of illness, ear infections, for example, we're just doling out antibiotics left and right. Um, and we were starting to see a lot of chronic conditions. Mm. So mm -hmm. this, I just sort of had this aha moment. I was like, wait a minute, when I was a kid growing up, I don't remember a single kid with ADD or autism or any neurodevelopmental or learning problems. Right. I don't remember anybody with asthma. Certainly nobody had allergies. I was in Africa, of course, as a kid, but still, I mean, when I talk to my peers who are my age, who lived through, through that same era in the United States, it's fairly similar. We just didn't have chronic illness, but it was the autism thing that really woke me up because this was new, this was different. Uh, where did it come from? You know, new conditions, uh, the, our establishment was saying it's genetic. 
but saying that it was genetic in a way that they were trying to have society believe you're hardwired. Right, right. And you and I now know, yeah, it's genetic to some degree in the sense that it's epigenetic. So we have some vulnerabilities and those vulnerabilities, given a toxic world that we live in, might predispose you to then develop a problem, right? The condition that might be autism spectrum. So in 2004, five, six, and seven, in my own practice, I had a child who was perfectly normal at one, you know, making great eye contact, social smiling, sometimes starting to talk. By two, completely gone, nonverbal, no eye connection, autistic. And by the fourth one, November of 2007, I just, it was like, snap, I cannot do this anymore. I'd been researching, once you deep dive into, you know, the information that's in our literature, what we call peer-reviewed literature, mm -hmm. this is supposed to be the gold standard of good information. There's plenty of information about the problems with the ingredients in vaccines, uh, problems with vaccines themselves, and problems with how it's being done. Um, and then if you really do a deep dive, you realize that most of the research that's done on vaccines is very short term. There's no look at long term right. outcomes. And I woke up to the fact that our science is being manipulated and abused and we're not asking the right questions. Right. So science is only as good as the question that gets asked. And it was real clear to me at that time, 2007, there were no studies actually till very recently, there were no studies comparing total health outcomes of vaccinated children compared to unvaccinated right. children. That was the study. And I'm thinking to myself, why hasn't anybody done this? <laughs> I mean, we're, we want healthy kids, right? We all want the same thing. Right. If, you're, if you're listening to this show, if, you're, if you catch this information, uh, or if you're a physician or a doctor or a parent, doesn't matter. We really all want the same mm -hmm. thing. We want healthy kids. And in your profession, OBGYN, it's not just that you don't want to be sued. You want to have great outcomes for mom and for baby. And you want them to have healthy kids coming into the world. You're, you're ushering in that new baby. Right. What a wonderful time that you get to participate in. One of my favorite things is to go see newborns. So anyway, as I started waking up to the fact that we've got a problem here, I, I left my old group practice and started my own practice, Integrative Pediatrics, in uh, 2008, June of 2008, and that's where I still practice. I started seeing that my unvaxxed and, and uh, minimally vaxxed kids were so much healthier. I thought, wow, is this real? It felt real, right? I tried to publish data. I was unsuccessful, so I wrote the vaccine-friendly plan where I have a little bit of the data in there. And, uh, and then you probably know more recently, I was able to publish a really important vaxxed unvaxxed study mm -hmm. in a peer reviewed journal. Of course, it got retracted later, which is just what happens yeah. if you publish something that shows vaccine in the negative light, chances are it will be retracted. That's and right. That's just the nature of uh, what's happening with politics and power and money. Yeah. Yeah, it, it's it's funny, you know, to go back to something something that you slipped into conversation, which I think is very important for people to understand. If we don't ask the right question, then we don't have, we can't fall into the evidence based medicine world in order to answer our clinical decision making. So we have to go on our own experience. And one thing I can, I can parallel with the OBGYN world is in two thousand one, the term breach trial came out, which showed that absolutely not. Should a baby come out butt or feet first? No way, because there's a chance that the baby's head could get stuck and then all hell breaks loose, right? So given that it was considered 
too dangerous to offer a, a vaginal breech birth to people based on this one trial, which was poorly done to begin with. We won't get into that. But when you look, when you actually read the study, what they were looking at is the main outcomes of like healthy mom, healthy baby. Well, one of the big problems with a composite of outcomes that are just related to vital signs and, and, and sort of like a re- reduction, a reductive view of the, the human experience to, are you alive? Are you breathing? And is your heart beating when you leave the hospital? Hey, that's a, that's a good outcome. When you, when you miss the fact that, oh, if we're doing C-sections on C-sections on C-sections because they had a stinking breech baby in their, you know, 20 years ago, and now they've had four C-sections, the increased morbidity associated with that, not to mention the disruption in the maternal and neonatal bonding period. Like if we don't, if we don't look at those outcomes, then yeah, we get this very narrow myopic view of what it means to have a healthy, healthy birth. But so many women have now pushed back. Like I don't want to have six C-sections. I want to have a lot of kids and you're just telling me I have to have a primary C-section for a breech birth. Well, even when people started waking up to that, it was still just the one giant trial. And there's so many generations of residents that went through without ever having seen a breech birth that now we're left in a place where it's like, no, duh, you have a C-section for a breech birth. But there are people that are trying to bring that back in the light of, hey, what about the other outcomes? Are there good reasons for us to not be doing a primary C-section for breech? If, you know, if, but, but we of course didn't look at it in the literature. So, um, so now that's that, 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 aircraft carriers starting to slowly change course but just like you know we're seeing with vaccines the aircraft carrier is slowly starting to change to change direction but god it takes forever for that to happen so so when yeah. when parents come to you and they're really concerned about this vaccine schedule which is double or triple what i received as a kid and i'm not that old i'm in my late 30s um mm-hmm. and i'm facing this as a dad now what do you tell parents yeah. i mean what, what would you tell me if i was like you know, Paul, I, I'm really concerned about all these vaccines. Can I get any of them? Should I get some of them? Like my wife and I are going to go to Mexico frequently because she's Mexican. Like, what do I do? What do you tell parents? Yeah. Well, so this is an informational show, folks. I am not giving medical advice. So we're going to give you information. And this is the important thing, I think, for you to understand. If you are a parent heading into that huge decision. And it's so important. It really is. Um, It's so important because you are doing an intervention on a healthy person. Mm -hmm. So when you're taking a healthy child who has, especially if you've been, and we'll probably round into talking about how to have a healthy, robust immune system, uh, that may be superior to a outcome for a vaccinated child. Uh, But you don't know unless you do that research. Okay. And that research had not, yeah, that research had not been done. I'm going around the country right now presenting not just my own research that was published showing the differences in outcomes for vaccinated versus unvaccinated, which just as a quick uh, cliff note summary, the unvaxxed kids are so much healthier in every parameter we looked at, whether we're talking about neurodevelopmental stuff like ADD, autism, uh, learning disabilities, unvaxxed kids are so much better off. Whether we're talking about infectious diseases, ear infections, sinusitis, mm. eye infections, the vaccinated kids get way more infections. What? That doesn't make any sense. I thought vaccines were supposed to prevent infections. Well, here's the problem. Mm-hmm. The vaccine, let's just pick one of them. Let's just pick pertussis, for example. 
and I could have picked tetanus. I could have picked anything that we vaccinate for. To some extent, that vaccine will trigger the production of some antibodies against that particular disease for which we're vaccinating. So if I'm doing a pertussis vaccine, you're going to get some antibodies against pertussis, and you may have a little less pertussis compared to an unvaccinated person. But what you don't know is what is it doing to your immune system so that your immune system can fight everything else that's in the world? Mm -hmm. I mean, we're only vaccinating to this day against 14 conditions, 14 organisms that were like, oh, my gosh, these things are bad. <laughs> well, what about the thousands and thousands of other things that could give you an infection? Yeah. When, when you vaccinate, you push the immune system more towards allergy, which is why all the data shows increases in allergies and autoimmunity. And when, when you do that, your immune system is actually less able to fight other infections. Mm -hmm. So to kind of oversimplify it, yeah, you might be better off against those 14 things, but you are worse off against everything else. Wow. So in the balance of things, what's the better thing to do? And, you know, I'm now at a point with all the data that's come out in the last three, four years, which is after I wrote my book, where I can literally say, except for rare situations where you're in the midst of an outbreak, you might be better off not vaccinating at all. Right, right. Now, I'm not anti-vaccine. I really think vaccine technology is a wonderful idea. Unfortunately, I don't know if it's because of the profit motive or what. Uh, we have not kept up with the whole issue of safety yeah. and, and re really developing the right schedule because it shouldn't be one size fits all. So uh, if I've got a few minutes, I'll just take you through pregnancy and newborn. Go for it. So my, my book goes from pre-pregnancy, pregnancy, newborn, and then takes you through childhood all the way through adolescence so that you can, if you're a new parent, you can just jump to where you're at. Uh, and I talk about lots more than just vaccines, but let's talk about pregnancy. Actually, pre-pregnancy, you should, if you know you're going to be having a child at some point, and I imagine you do this in your practice, uh, you get the... Um, the terrain, right? The, the mom's right. body is going to be a host for a new life. What a wonderful thing that is. So you want to start living a less toxic life so that that body of yours is ready to just nurture and house and protect that newborn right. that's going to become your baby. Right. And, and, you know, there's way it's, it's most important is how, what you're eating and, you know, living with the least toxins possible. And, and that's a whole nother conversation we could have. But during pregnancy itself, now I'm old enough that long time ago, you would, you would never vaccinate during pregnancy. Uh, it, that's just, I mean, look, you, you don't even eat fish when you're pregnant because of the potential mercury exposure in the fish. I mean, you, you're going to try to eat organic and drink filtered water and get plenty of sunshine and reduce stress in your life, just to name a few things. Uh, live in community and, and you know, you want to just have that. It's a peaceful, wonderful time and, and you embrace all of that. Then that baby that's developing in your womb is just in this perfect environment, as perfect as you can make yeah. it, right? Yeah. I mean, today we live in a toxic world every baby's going to get exposed to some toxins, which is why I think it's even more important than ever that you not vaccinate during pregnancy, right. period. Right. That, right. Is, that should be non-negotiable. They have not done any studies on pregnant women for long-term outcomes of babies and then into childhood of moms who got vaccines when they were pregnant and moms who didn't. Right. And unfortunately, that's not my world, so I don't have that data either. 
but mm -hmm. it just it just defies common sense that you would inject i mean unfortunately folks vaccines while they'll have the antigen that you're trying that part of it kind of makes sense they have other things in them that are put in the vaccine to overstimulate the immune system uh, so that it'll react to that antigen that you're trying to get an immune response to. So the DPT, for example, has a huge dose of aluminum. We know that's neurotoxic. We know it triggers autoimmunity. That just makes no right. sense for pregnancy, right. right? And the flu shot just plain old doesn't work. If you use the multi-dose flu shot, you're injecting 25 micrograms of mercury. mercury. Yep. Yep. Oh my gosh, we, got, we banned mercury from vaccines 20 years ago but they still have it in the multi-dose flu shot and pregnant moms can still be given that. It, it just defies any sort of logic. So it makes me just crazy. Yeah. So Paul, one of my devil's advocate questions was going to be, Hey, I thought they took heavy metals out of vaccines. They don't do that anymore. <laughs> oh yes, they do. Hey guys, I hope you're enjoying this. Awesome conversation. Wanted to tell you quickly about my collaborator program. This program's for midwives, doulas, docs, birth educators, coaches, whoever. I am inviting anybody who works with women to enroll into this program for a monthly fee. And the way that it works is, let's say on Monday, you've got a patient who has some fertility issues despite working with them through an in-depth functional nutrition program. They're still unable to get pregnant. You want some insight from an OBGYN. You want me to review labs, imaging, etc. It's a great opportunity. Then on Tuesday, you've got a patient who, uh, let's say you're a midwife and you're caring for a, a birthing person who just got some ultrasound re reports and you want to know, hey, is this still a person that that you know should be considered a good candidate for home birth, for example? Um, I'll give you recommendations. I'll give you insight. I'll even tell you what I would do right and then wednesday you might have a completely different question so this is a way to keep your patients out of the conventional model if desired and keep them on track for home birth if that's what they desire um, or it may just help you better support them if they have to go in for a c-section or whatever else so there's going to be two levels there's going to be the silver level which will allow you that access if you want to go for the gold level the gold level will include a weekly live q a video conference peer review session with all gold level members including me um, and you're going to find some of the nation's best midwives there and the opportunity here is that we're all engaged in a, an hour-long conversation it'll be recorded if you miss it you can check it out later through the website and we're going to be able to post questions and as a group discuss and and sort of I don't know, collaborate together as to how to best manage and answer those questions. Um, and of course, I'll be there to provide the allopathic OBGYN insight as well. So um, so that's my collaborator program. When you lock in a, a rate, a monthly fee, that fee will never change for you. Although I will say that the price of this program is probably going to go up as I've had increasing numbers of people reaching out and super interested. So check it out. All the details will be at belovedholistics.com. And you can send me questions through the website as well if you need any further clarification. And I think that just about does it. Let's get back to the conversation. Um, yeah, that was part of my waking up, actually. In you were asking that earlier. 2001, in Oregon, where I was practicing, it felt like that was the year there was this massive push by the American Academy of Pediatrics to move the hepatitis B vaccine from teenagers, which is where we generally were doing it. Now, it had been available to be given for a decade or two before that, the hepatitis B vaccine. But the big push starting around 2001 
was we're going to move the hepatitis B to newborns. And, and I remember asking some of my peers, this makes no sense. And here's why. And you know this, of course, you catch hepatitis B from sex and IV drug use. Babies don't do that. Now, your profession, the OBGYNs, where I was working for years, you guys were doing an incredible job of screening pregnant moms. So every single mom who came through my practice had already been screened by the OBGYN to see whether or not they had hepatitis B. Surface antigen, right? which is like the standard. Like we all- yeah, Not only the antigen, you guys would check for antibodies. So I would have moms who were pregnant coming to see me for their first baby, let's say, and I already know not only do they not have hepatitis B, the infection, but they're actually immune. Mm. They have antibodies. Mm -hmm that baby that they are going to deliver is at zero. I mean, absolutely zero risk for hepatitis B, zero. There is no other possibility. Their mother is immune. Their mother's not in the high risk category and babies don't have sex or share dirty needles. So it's zero. Right. Why, on, why on earth would we inject 250 micrograms of aluminum, a neurotoxin, a developmental disruptor, an autoimmune triggering heavy metal that we're just injecting for what? It's an experiment, yeah. right? Yeah. So back 20 years ago, the experiment was, and we should have known this wouldn't have worked, by the way, we're going to see if we develop a population that's immune to hepatitis B, we'll eradicate hepatitis B. Hey, we did it for smallpox. We did it for polio. Why not hepatitis B? That's what we were being told by pharma through our Academy of Pediatrics as well. Well, we should have known yeah. if you were working in an office and you get a needle stick, you know, trying to draw blood from a patient or you're doing a procedure and you, you get exposed to blood, you, you have to go get tested for hepatitis B if it's been more than 10 years since your vaccine. We know that it's only giving about 10 years protection. So I was thinking this all through and I'm thinking, hmm, newborns, their first time they'll have risk is probably when they're sexually active. Right. That's, uh, I don't know of any 10 year olds that are sexually active. So they're going to get sexually active in their late teens, early twenties. And maybe that's when heaven forbid, they're also sharing dirty needles. But by the time they're having these risk behaviors, their immunity from that newborn series is probably gone. Right. So the whole thing should be scrapped and go back to selectively vaccinating the people who need it, you know, and, and yeah. but that's not the case. Yeah. It's one size fits all. And that 0.1% that of the US population where the moms have hepatitis B or are at very high risk for having hepatitis B, those babies should get that vaccine. Absolutely, right? Yeah. That's 0.1%. Right. So right. no, but we're just gonna inject 99.9% of the people who don't need it just in case so we can pick up that 0.1%. Even that might make sense, but we don't even need to do that because you guys, our OBGYNs, are already figuring it out who needs it and who doesn't. Yeah, I mean, yeah. So, so you're right. It's it's another another example of how these silos of of educated bodies, like ACOG or the American Academy AAP, right, is the pediatrics college. Yeah. Like yeah. they're not really talking. Like, and if more pediatricians were like, hey, hey, like, thanks for checking. Now we don't need to do this, guys. If there was more of that. Yeah, we, we wouldn't be in this yeah. problem. I, I have to share with you real quickly. You kind of jogged a bad memory of mine when I was an intern to just to demonstrate how insubordinate I've been my whole life. I uh, you do a pediatrics rotation. It's like, I don't know, 10 weeks or something. And you're the intern on the pediatrics, you know, new, ba okay. new baby team. So you go in and do all the like 
here's how to take care of a baby talk, you know, and it's all that stuff. It's yeah. like a checklist of things. It's not really all that helpful, but it maybe is there's like little glimpses of of help that, that come into that. Like, how often do I feed or how do I take care of the umbilical cord, all that type of stuff. And um, I remember people started asking me, like, do I need to get this hepatitis B? Like, why does my baby need that? And I was like, I don't know. Let me start looking it up. And I started digging into the literature and I was like, there's, this doesn't make any sense. And so I started telling them, you know what, if I was a dad and I wasn't at the time, if I was a dad, if I was going to eliminate one of these things, probably hepatitis B of all the vaccines, that's the one I would do. And I didn't know as much as I know now, but at the time, you know, let's start with just that. If you're going to choose any of them, that's the one. Well, the attending, the pediatrics attending, I was the intern as an OBGYN. So I'm like a sitting duck here at, at rounds. There, she's like, are you telling people not to get the hepatitis B vaccine? And I was like, well, I didn't tell them not to get it. I said, you know, here's my recommendation based on the literature. And it's an informed decision on their part now. Um, and she went to the principal, my program director, and I just got railed. I mean, it was it was a wow. bad, bad thing. Like it was early enough in my intern year that they could have just decided to scrap me altogether and replace me. And fortunately, they had the compassion in their hearts to keep me there. But I realized right off the bat, oh my gosh, to question the vaccines is not mm. a way to make friends. So no, no, to this day, it is not a way to make friends. Definitely so, not. Um, I was really, really surprised when the OBGYN, your world, allowed the Tdap right? The, the pertussis vaccine to be injected into pregnant women. It was like, you have got to be kidding. I lost, I lost a night of sleep. I, when I saw that recommendation, it was like horror right. because a huge dose of aluminum that was going to be, you know, sort of mainlined into potentially mainlined into babies. I'm thinking, you know, babies who are born with anything that has to do with autoimmunity or aluminum toxicity, which would be developmental issues. It's all going to be called, oh, it's genetic because they had it at birth. Right. Well, no, they were poisoned in the womb. Right. It's like, oh right. my word. Right. I, 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 it still horrifies me that that's going on. And it horrifies me that in America, if you sign into a hospital, you get into the protocol. And that protocol on the newborn side is within hours of birth, you're getting a vitamin K shot and you're getting a hepatitis B And vaccine. a bunch of goo on the eyes and, so you can't see your mom. <laughs> yeah, the goo, on, the goo on the eyes, which is left over from the 1800s, folks. God. The 1800s. Oh my gosh. So that your baby won't get syphilis or gonorrhea or blindness from syphilis and gonorrhea. Please. That's the problem with one of the problems. With the problem. That's one of the problems with medicine. Oh, that's the only, the only problem. problem, Paul. Um, yeah, yeah, just <laughs> we we cannot get things off of protocols. Yeah. So you develop a protocol, and it's always add. It's never subtract. Right, right, right. Yeah, yeah. So, so speaking of vaccines in pregnancy, I've gotten a little heat for this, and I, I really don't think you and I have the emotional energy to go into the full COVID conversation. But it is important that we mention ACOG before we had even preliminary data as to how this vaccine was going to be tolerated in the general population. The COVID vaccine is what I'm talking about. The the jab. Right. Right. Um, ACOG yeah. was recommending this universally to all pregnant women. I, speaking mm-hmm. about your moment of losing a night of sleep, I think I lost three weeks of sleep over this and didn't know what to do with myself. Yeah. So what are your yeah. thoughts? I mean, I think I know what you're going to say, but this is an untested technology and we're still yeah. shaming women for, you know, eating too much salmon in pregnancy, which has so many health benefits, especially if it comes from a good place. But, you know, we do have to be yeah. concerned about mercury. 
So let's let's yeah. take that that recommendation seriously, or macro, or whatever it is that that you know pregnant women aren't supposed to eat. But more importantly, we're still shaming women for having a glass of wine or um, you know having orgasms, you know, in pregnancy. I mean, like these are these are antiquated notions about, and, yeah. and I think it comes down to really like we just don't really appreciate that women have autonomy over their bodies. Like we need a bunch of people in white coats to tell you what's right to do. But now mm. those people in white coats are saying, yeah, don't do those things, but get this new thing injected into you. I, I can't tell you how discomforted I was. I'm just mm. curious as to what your thoughts are and if you have anything to add. Yeah. Oh, thank you for standing up for women and all children and all humans. Yeah. Uh, it's clear we have to take our future and our destiny into our own hands and we have to question everything, okay? Because uh, unfortunately, there's a massive profit motive behind medicine today and it, vaccines are one of the biggest, now the biggest profit uh, arena for pharma. So before COVID vaccines, uh, I'm digressing slightly, but I want to make the point that you've got to protect yourself from a profit motive system. Yeah. Uh, before the COVID vaccine, I think the number one uh, moneymaker was immunosuppressants, the Humeras and Embrils and mm -hmm. all the immunosuppressants. So here's here's what was happening, folks. Um, we over-vaccinate the population, and I've already mentioned there's a whole book, uh, Autoimmunity and Aluminum by Schoenfeld out of Israel. It's a masterpiece. Hundreds and hundreds of articles, uh, peer-reviewed articles showing aluminum is triggering autoimmunity. So we over-vaccinate, we create autoimmunity, and when you have autoimmunity, what does our profession do? We prescribe immunosuppressants, number one moneymaker for pharma. Mm. When you suppress the immune system, what happens? Well, you get cancer and infections. Cancer treatments, number two moneymaker for pharma. And what started the whole process in the beginning? Over-vaccinating, number three moneymaker for pharma. We have turned humans into ATM machines for pharma. It has nothing to do with health anymore. So this changed with COVID. A normal, massive blockbuster vaccine will make a pharmaceutical company a billion dollars in a year. Pfizer has made $30 billion this year alone on the COVID vaccine. It's obscene profits. Now, back to your question, what should we do about injecting this into women? When they did their preliminary studies and got their emergency approval for the COVID vaccines, they specifically excluded women and children and anybody who was sick and anybody who was old they got prime, healthy, no risk factor, young and medium aged adults. Yeah. And that's who they vaccinated. But when they roll out the vaccine that still is in trial, they haven't even finished the trials yet and they haven't been looking at all health outcomes. So really we don't have any good information yet from the trials. We have plenty of information pouring in about problems. Uh, the Vaccine Adverse Events Reporting System, VAERS, is just filled. I mean, we're up to 15,000 deaths from this vaccine. We normally pull a vaccine when you get 50 or less deaths. We're at 15,000. It, it's it's, it's crazy. mind-numbing. We're, we're going to hit a million ba bad side effects in the next few months uh, from this vaccine, and yet it's still being pushed on the market. But to suggest that you do this for a pregnant mom or a child, so yes, Pregnancy, and you can correct me if I'm wrong here, 
I think there's a little increased risk to infections when you're pregnant just because the immune system downregulates on purpose so you don't reject the mm -hmm. baby. And so that's the theoretical reason for injecting anything into a pregnant woman in the terms of vaccines. But we have no safety data. In fact, we have alarming statistics coming out about first trimester uh, uh, loss of pregnancy in vaccinated people for COVID. I mean, the numbers are, are astounding. Um, just go with the precautionary principle, right? So do no harm is the simple way of putting it. But until we know for sure that something is safe, you don't do it, especially for pregnancy, right. especially for newborns and infants. If you're not sure, don't do it, right? Why would we experiment on pregnant moms and on infants? Uh, that makes no That's sense. Right. So you wait for more data and we certainly need more data, although I don't need any more data. I have seen enough. Uh, Peter McCullough, who's probably the most published person on COVID uh, research. I think he's got a hundred articles now, something yeah, like he's that. He's a this uh, cardiologist out of Texas A&M or something like that. Yeah. Yep, yeah. Yep. Internist cardiologist, and he's been treating COVID and he's been uh, following this. And he, he's now saying it quite clearly. Uh, early on, he said, you know, I'm not sure. I'm, I'm worried about this vaccine. I would probably do it to, you know, high risk people. I don't blame him. I mean, early on, we didn't know what we were dealing with. He is now saying this program needs to be stopped, period. Nobody should get this yeah. vaccine. That's from Peter McCullough. I deal with pediatrics. Kids are getting COVID and we don't even know they have it half the time. It is such a mild illness. I have 10,000 patients. Not a single one has been hospitalized. No deaths. Most of them, well, all of them are unvaccinated, except just recently they're starting to get some of the teenagers. Uh, who, by the way, will go to a drive-through place and get a, a, a vaccine because they can now, and there's no informed consent process. They're not told any of the dangers. They just roll up their sleeve and get it, and they go home, and they're all happy because their friends got it. That's and they right. got it. Yeah, yeah. So the the one study everybody's talking about, like ACOG, came out officially with their recommendation. They they sort of like doubled down on the recommendation because of the this one study. It was uh, Shimbakuro, I think, is at all. I think is the name of the author. I may be butchering that, but that same article. And by the way, that study was very poorly done. They even described first trimester loss as under twenty weeks, which is not true. That's that's a fetal loss, but it's not first trimester. So what they didn't. I mean, they did so many things wrong with the study. I won't even get into it now. But the the point being that even if it was a well done study. Is one study enough for us to say we're going to inject, universally inject this new thing, which has made Pfizer $30 billion? Are we going to inject this new thing into a pregnant woman? Is this the way we want ex human experimental trials to go? Is this really where we're at right now? And it should draw into question every everything we really understand about this medical industrial complex. Like if this isn't, this isn't a conspiracy theory, guys, it is in plain sight of everything. It's not hidden behind the curtain. We are now saying we're willing to actually go to this length in order to support that model that you and I described in the very beginning of find the diagnosis and give the treatment. And that treatment's going to come from yeah. a pharmaceutical company, period. If this vaccine yeah. was that important, right? And Ioannidis and his, his, his crew up in Stanford demonstrated very early that this COVID thing is not as dangerous as we all think. We need to get over it. But that was ignored. He yeah. published that through the World Health Organization. He's a Stanford epidemiologist. I mean, he's published probably a thousand papers. And he was like, yeah, this doesn't doesn't add up. Sorry, they, either the RT-PCR test sucks or we're just tabulating deaths wrong. But this is not that that yeah. fatal. But 
if, if we're going to be able to take all of that data and then at the end of the rainbow here, we're going to find some solution to the problem that doesn't exist. If, if we're not able to see that and now act upon it, I'm not so sure what what would be more convincing to people that that this is like a complete flipping of the paradigm of do no harm. It's a complete flipping yeah. and a distortion of that. Um. Anyways, I'm rambling, but but yeah, you said no, so many useful no, the things thing there. I, yeah, the thing I would say, Nathan, is unfortunately, if you're watching the news, if that's your source of information and you're not aware that the news is now just a machine right. of propaganda. Right. Now, I woke up to that during the last two rounds of elections, right? So I, I used to be a liberal Democrat. Uh, I don't have a party anymore. Uh, but, you know, I thought growing up a missionary kid in Africa, you know, we're going to save the world, take care of the poor and, you know, those who don't have any rights and those who have no money and no power. And, you know, that's why I went into yeah, pediatrics yeah. so I could speak for the babies. And you went into OBGYN for the poor unborn child sure. and, and women who, who get abused and uh, by the system. So that was where I came from. And then in those elections, I would switch a channel that was democratic leaning, which is most of them. And then I would go to um, Fox, which was clearly Republican leaning. And I would listen to the narrative of what was going on in our world. And it was like, they were two different worlds, like mm. completely different worlds. And I thought this is weird because they actually are experiencing, I mean, the world, what's happening yeah. is happening to us yeah. all. But the perspective of what's happening is completely different depending on where you are. Well, that woke me up to the fact that actually they're just spreading news bites that are propaganda. Right. And and folks, come on, just just pay attention to the fact that they're they're not they're giving you sound bites. They're not giving you the actual real what's going on. So that's what you and I do, Nathan. We go deep dive into the studies and we go, oh, what they're calling we follow the science is a very poorly done study that showed exactly what they mm. planned for it to show. Mm -hmm. So if I wanna show for you that the vaccine is causing no harm, right? And they do this a lot for pregnancy. Uh, the, the work, when you're doing vaccines in pregnant women or vaccines in children, uh, you just study it for a very short period of time. And you look at, let's say for pregnancy, pregnancy outcomes, we're gonna say the, the, we're gonna look at the babies who are born and do they weigh the same amount? The ones who were vaccinated, the moms who were vaccinated, the moms who weren't, did the baby come out weighing the same? Oh, they came out the same. See the vaccine safe. <laughs> well, well, if you don't look at how did their brains survive, how did their brain function survive these right. vaccines? You got to go for several years. Well, they never do those That's studies. Right. So those, those are the things that I'm waking up to as a pediatrician going, look, my vaccinated kids are not doing well. Okay. Why didn't anybody look at this? Well, We've looked at it and, and, and the information is quite horrifying. Uh, my, I have two waiting rooms, so 10,000 patients, two waiting rooms, a sick and a well. In my old practice where I was with, there were a total of five pediatricians. We had one massive waiting room filled with sick kids and intermingled with some well visits who were coming in for their vaccines, basically. That's a well visit is code for yeah, a vaccine right. visit. Um, so. I thought, well, I'm starting my own practice. I'll have two waiting rooms separated. I don't want my sick kids sitting with my well kids. My sick waiting room is almost always empty. Empty. My sick, I mean, my well side is packed, standing room only. What's wrong, what's wrong with this picture? Wow. No, what's right, right with this picture? Right. When you selectively vaccinate 
and go carefully and slowly and stop if you see any problems whatsoever. Uh, vaccine friendly plan says you only do one aluminum containing a vaccine at a time. Actually, vaccines with zero aluminum would be way better folks. Uh, when I wrote that book, I didn't have all the information I have today. So I need to do a vaccine friendly plan revisited, revised, something like that, where I tell you about the real findings we've had with aluminum. Uh, I published an article where the first seven months of life on the CDC schedule, you will spend 30 to 70% of your life above toxic levels for aluminum with the CDC wow. schedule. 30 to 70% of your life. That's horrifying. That should be a cause for an immediate halt to all aluminum containing vaccines in kids. Did it happen? No. Does anybody even know about that study? No, you just bury it. And then with a vaccine friendly plan though, you spend 6% of your first seven months over the toxic levels. That's not acceptable. So while I would tell you if I'm getting back to your question, how, what would you tell a new parent what to do? <laughs> um, you definitely don't do the CDC schedule. I, I've lost my license for this. I got it reinstated with restrictions, which is I cannot talk about vaccines with my patients. So remember, this is an informational show. You're not my patient. If you are, uh, don't follow this advice. It's informational. Um, but yeah, the, the CDC schedule is horrifying in, in its health risks. The vaccine friendly plan is much safer. Outcomes by my research show that you do much better the fewer vaccines you get, but it's still not perfect. It's still too many too fast. It's still too much aluminum. We don't have safe vaccines, folks. We just don't. I'm not anti-vaccine. Let's make, Let's make safe, safe vaccines. vaccines. That's exactly right. That's exactly yeah. right. Yeah. Absolutely. And you can't polish a turd. Like if we've got these broken nope. devices, <laughs> we can't rearrange the schedule so that those devices are going to sit with us in an optimal way. And like you said from the very beginning, yeah. this is so important. We are taking a healthy child and we're potentially making them sick. So oh, we absolutely are making them absolutely. Sick. Yeah, I mean, I'm 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 using as vague language as I possibly can in yeah. order to be as inclusive right. to anybody who wants to be a part of the conversation. But I know yeah. that, and you know that. And if anybody out there is on the fence, let's just remember that if we have any doubt, if we're going to inject something that's doubtful into a healthy person, or do surgery on a healthy person, or give them pharmaceuticals or whatever, we should know for certain, or as, as certain as we can, that we're not doing more harm than good in yeah. a completely yeah. healthy, low risk, low susceptibility child, period. Yeah. Um, or or, or yeah. a pregnant and woman it, for that matter. Yeah, it's absolutely about balancing risk and benefit. And that's what I do for any parent that's talking to me. Let's talk about each vaccine, one at a time. What are the risks? What are the benefits? And that's called informed consent, which has been totally oh, yeah. done away with in vaccines these days. Uh, in pediatric practices today, if you don't follow the CDC schedule, they kick you out. I mean, that's informed consent. No, that's coercion. That's right. I mean, that's that, that's horrible. That's right. But you know, it should be individualized. So, so here are the risks. And folks, there are risks to not vaccinating. There are massive risks to vaccinating, and. You got to balance those out and go with your heart and your gut, but use your mind too, yeah. right? I mean, look at the data, look at all the data and then make a decision that sits well with your own sort of sense of who you are, what you want for your child. Mom's intuition is so powerful. Don't ignore it. 
and dads too, but so often it's the moms who are coming in with that newborn or that you're seeing the moms in, in the pregnancy visits. Um, trust your intuition. Right. You, your, your body and your mind and your spirit knows in your gut, in your core, you know what's right. So don't discard that because there's a white coat telling you to do something That's different. That's right, man. Aho, great spirit. I mean, <laughs> that's uh, so important. And um, yeah, that's so important. I, I, think that, I think that we all need to remember as, as parents, as friends, as doctors, as whoever, that the burden of proof lies to those who wish to deviate from nature and from physiology. You know, like, let's go back to those two years in medical school when we learned how everything's supposed to work based on our very Cartesian model of the body, granted, but it still helped us understand the immune system, how that interfaces with your endocrine system and how that interfaces with your GI system and everything else. If somebody's telling you, hey, everything's working great, the, the car, you know, I hate the car metaphor, but like this system over here is working fine. Let's throw this wrench in there and let's see if, uh, you know, the baby's still doing the normal baby things, then then we can say it's safe. Well, no, you actually need to demonstrate to me that all of those systems are still able to interact and cooperate and co-create life together. You, it's, it's on you to prove to me, or at least demonstrate reasonably well through, through well-designed studies in order to convince me to do this thing. Otherwise, I'm cool with how the system's working. It's doing just fine. So, um, we need to remember that that and and really, as the uh, as a consumer, it's on it's on you. and it, and that includes me. I'm a consumer of medicine. It's on you to be demanding a little more rigor and a little more patience with the process of what it means to be a conscious human being and developing child. Um, and that these three month follow-up studies on is the kid walking, it, that's not sufficient. it It isn't. Um, we We can yeah. be doing that demanding. But until we do, as consumers, um, the white coats are going to kind of be stuck to their own devices. And that's, you know, the golden handcuffs being stripped by their employer. It could be any of these other tributaries that contribute into the culture of how the conventional model is actually delivered. Yeah, no, absolutely. Trust nature, trust your body, your immune system, yeah. uh, and support it. Right? Oh yeah. Let's so talk we about should, that. We should probably, yeah. Let's let's talk about what it takes to be healthy and to support your immune system so that your natural wellness, wholeness can shine through and 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 win, if you will. Right. I the battle analogy is probably not a good one because you know our, our bodies are so wonderfully made. So here are a few keys. Let's just start with pregnancy. Avoid as many toxins as you possibly can, including vaccines. Now, after you get that newborn out, if at all possible, you want to breastfeed. There is, uh, when you look at the ingredients in, on a can of formula, just just saying, uh, it's horrifying. I mean, high fructose corn syrup is generally right up Soybean there. Soybean oil. Uh, yeah, the oils they use, they're not the best oils. I mean, you know that. Go look, you, you're probably eating extra virgin olive oil yourself and then you're getting all this other yeah. crap, pardon my <laughs> language, in, in, the, in the formula. So, so absolutely pursuing breastfeeding and if there's a tongue tie issue you can probably get around it without surgery by seeing a body worker or somebody who knows how to massage the tongue or do craniosacral i mean there are lots of mm -hmm. beautiful ways of supporting a newborn infant and uh so they can be successful with breastfeeding and to the best of your ability pregnancy and going forward for your kid go organic again it's about toxins 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 reducing them to the best of your ability Another toxin that people don't really think of as a toxin is stress. Mm, 
Mm-hmm. Stress is a huge toxin to your immune system. It puts you into fight or flight, and that redirects a whole lot of energy in your body, not towards healing and, and, and nurturing, but towards fighting uh, a stress. It's a hormonal stress for yeah. sure. The biggest stressor most people don't realize is that screen, whether it's the news, the TV, or your handheld device, turn it off, turn off your alerts, get out into nature, get outside, get natural sunshine. Vitamin D levels are so important for the immune system. We have VDR, vitamin D receptors on our white blood cells. We have them all over our body and most people are Mm -hmm. deficient. So if there was one supplement I was going to suggest, it would be vitamin D. Although to fight the current scare that's out there, a little bit of zinc added as a little bit of magnesium, maybe some quercetin. These are important for other reasons. Another thing to think about is adequate sleep. Mm -hmm. That is restorative. Sleep is restorative. So whatever you can do, there's a whole talk we could do about sleep. Exercise, if you're pregnant, it's in moderation, but absolutely exercise is important. And then develop a community of like-minded, loving people around you because we are, humans are, you know, social creatures. And when you're in isolation, I think about my mom with COVID, she lives in a community where they isolated all the elderly. She did not receive physical touch for Mm -hmm. 18 months. And when I finally could hug her and now I can't go into her facility because I'm not vaccinated. So she's back to isolation. Uh, but when I could finally hug her, I mean, she just melted. Mm. I mean, it, mm. human beings need physical touch. So those are a few things I might oh. suggest. Yeah. I mean, and, and this is like <clears throat> getting back to the conversation around pharma. Again, we're not bashing pharma. There's a lot of great medicines out there that I would love to have if I got really, really sick or I was in a massive car accident or whatever. Absolutely. But the things you're talking about, Paul, are not like, this is not rocket science. This is just the basics of living a, a full life. You know, and one thing yeah. I, I, I always tell people is they're like, I'm eating the, eating the food and this and this and this. And of course, like you said, the stress, the stress of, of keeping up with the Joneses and being on your news feed all day and everything is, 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 is so, um, is so underappreciated, but even, but even yeah. taking that one step further, like if you have children hug your kids, touch your kids. It's medicine for you and your child. And if you can be present with them, you're hitting all of those boxes. Mm -hmm. You go out on a, I go out with my daughter. She's 18, 19 months now and holding her and touching her soft skin and kissing her cheeks and like running my, my lips through her hair and just like loving her little curls. And she gets so much medicine from that. And if you sit with a kid who has a fever, Mm. being close and holding their mom or dad, like I'll take my shirt off and we'll just like, get chest, chest, you know, naked chest together. And we just like love on each other. It's, it's therapy. It is. I got goosebumps. That was my favorite memories was having my daughter on my chest. That first baby just laying on my chest, skin to skin. Skin time is important folks. If you've ever been through anything traumatic, major surgery or whatever, you know that having the presence of another living being, it could even be your cat or your dog, but human touch Oh, it's so, so important. Healing. Yeah. Especially nowadays whenever so everybody's healing. trying to isolate and be cautious. And I'm the guy who's like, Hey, if you're yeah. hugging, I'm hugging. Let's like rip our shirts off and hug if you want. I mean, we have to yeah. be close. And I don't even yeah. think it's a, Absolutely. I don't even think it's like a personality difference. Everybody benefits from touch, you know, whether they're old and they're Absolutely. dying or they're, they're aging and they're in a nursing facility or they're a little child. Like we all just need to get back yeah. into that embrace. Yeah. yeah. 
And I, I think one of the biggest tragedies of, of the response to this COVID Thing. planned <laughs> event, whatever it is, uh, is this isolation. So you put people in masks and you social distance. You are, that is the most toxic right. thing you could do right. to human. Right. Uh, we need to be able to see each other's love and facial expressions. I mean, as a pediatrician, I get babies to smile and laugh by what? Smiling at them. I mean, I can just... I, I was doing this yesterday. I, I had this kid who apparently, according to mom, loves to smile. I, without my being able to show a smile, because I have to wear a mask in the office. Oh, we won't uh, I know. I, I, I hear you. Uh, man. <laughs> I, I mean, I rip them off when the parents don't want me to have them on. But oh, my gosh, it's it's the rules I'm under. Um, anyway, yeah. so much truth there. Folks, uh, dig into the information that's already available to you. Knowledge is power. Knowledge is freedom. Knowledge is peace of mind. And uh, don't just trust the sound bites you're getting anywhere on TV or from mainstream or social media. You've got to find the real information. It's all right there. It is being censored and it might be harder to get to, uh, but it's available. It uh, and, and then in the end, just um, love and kindness to yourself and to your loved ones and to the world. Amen. Wow. Yeah, I mean, there's we could go on and on for hours, Paul. I, I appreciate you so much. Your charisma and your passion for your field is so infectious, and your mentorship to anybody who comes across your path is so, gosh, it's so needed, and it's so invaluable to me. I, I really appreciate you so much. Um, if I was a child, I would want you as my pediatrician. <laughs> um, I'm, I, I well, you're, you're so kind. I do love what I do. And if I, if I was a pregnant mom, I would want you as my there we go. <laughs> so it's, a mutual, it's a mutual love yeah, affair. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, and, you know, as a final closure, if anybody out there has any questions, they've got me as a resource, they've got you as a resource, where can they find you if they want to connect with you, hire you, read more about you, tell us everything. Yeah, I would just say go to Doctors and Science, the whole word written out.com. Doctorsandscience.com is the link to my new show, Against the Wind. Doctors and Science Under Fire is the name of the show, but the website is doctorsandscience.com. I am putting links there to, to pretty much everything I do. If you become a member, you have access to me. I do weekly Q&As live now after the show. Uh, the show just went up on uh, Children's Health Defense TV, so it's going to reach a much wider right audience. Uh, but I'm bringing on uh, people the likes of Dr. Nathan Riley. You've been on I've my heard show. Of him, yeah, he's a good guy. Uh, yeah, you heard, of, you heard of that guy? He's amazing. <laughs> um, I, just, I mean, so many important leaders who are bringing you the truth, who are bringing you information that you need so you can have that knowledge, remember. So that gives you the power, the freedom, the peace of mind. And then just always lead with love and kindness. And I'm looking forward to seeing you on the show and out there in the world. Thank you so much, Paul. Um, I hope you all find him um, out in the, in the internet. Um, in the meantime, Paul, or until next time, I'm sure we'll talk again um, in another recording. Yeah. Um, thank you so much for doing this. And um, just thank you for doing the work you do. Thank you, Nathan. I appreciate you. Thank you so, so much. For listening to today's episode um, i'm so glad you're here and in alignment with our mission here at the holistic OBGYN. we are a 501c3 we work by donations 
So if you'd like to make a donation, go to BelovedHolistics.com. You'll also be able to find out more information about um, today's guest and anything else that was mentioned on the show. You can also find out more information about the collaborator program that I mentioned earlier. And again, whether you're a midwife, a doula, a birth educator, a lactation specialist, an an OBGYN, an MD from another specialty, if you need help and support from an allopathic and also holistic-minded OBGYN who's got training in a whole other bunch of stuff we never learned in medical school, please come and find me on the website for a very reasonable monthly fee. You'll be able to interact with me anytime you need some support in the field. And if you want to join the gold level, You'll also have some help with prescriptions. You'll have some help from other people in the space, other midwives, other holistic lifestyle practitioners um, through our weekly live video recorded peer review sessions. I'll of course be there and I'll be able to give my insight, but more importantly, we're gonna be holding space for the midwifery model of care and all of the beautiful attributes and contributions that the many great midwives in our country have made to this field and and should continue to make and and lead in this space that does it for today we will see you next time here on the holistic OBGYN. take care